Well, turn with me this morning, if you have your Bibles, uh, to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. Having finished uh, the book of 1 John, a series that uh, we were in for the last several weeks, uh, I wanted to spend the next couple weeks, uh, as I usually do, uh, thinking about the Incarnation wondering about the incarnation, thinking through its implications for our lives. Of course, incarnation is just a fancy word that means in the flesh. It's a beautiful theological term that describes the fact that Jesus, the Son of God, the one who was and is and has always been put on human skin and bone, became a human like you and I in order that we might be redeemed. Of course, there's lots of different angles that we could come at the wonder of the incarnation. I looked at uh, the last few years where we've been here at Ascension. We've we've come at the celebration of His coming from, from the books of Ruth, from the books of Psalms and Hebrews and Isaiah, Uh, But it had been some time, it's been several years since in the Lord's days dealing, uh, leading to Christmas that we've spent some time in the familiar gospel accounts, those accounts that we have heard and read maybe hundreds of times. It's good to return to these year after year after year. So that's where we turn our attention this morning, to Matthew's brief retelling of the events, the birth that would change the course of human history. So I'm just going to read Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. I encourage you to listen and follow along as we do here at Ascension. If you would stand for the reading of God's Word, Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Matthew recounts, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When His mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Candles burning low. Lots of mistletoe. 
Lots of snow and ice everywhere we go. Choirs singing carols right outside my door. All these things and more. That's what Christmas means to me. Anyone know who sang that song? Stevie Wonder. That is a classic Stevie Wonder song that expresses some of the nostalgia, some of the magic, as our culture calls it, of this time of year. Some of what maybe you love about the month of December, about Christmas. Christmas is blank. You fill it in. What would you put there? You could put a bunch of positive things like presents and and goodies, traditions, the tree, the lights. The fact that people are just nicer this month than they are the other 11 months of the year. Of course, there's the negative. Materialism. Difficult family dynamics and tensions. Debt. Busyness. Stress. For all of us, at least some of these things make up what Christmas is for us. For better or for worse. But I know you're here this morning because those answers aren't enough. The celebrations of this month, the lights, the gifts, the gatherings are all wonderful, but they point to something greater. They point to something so much more significant. They point to the sacred intruding into the secular. Like I said a couple weeks ago, Silent Night being hung, uh, being sung on the Michael Buble special on NBC. So if I'm going to fill in that sentence, Christmas is blank, with one word, I'm going to use a word that I have come to love over the past few years. Christmas is enchanted. Christmas is enchanted. The world doesn't even know, they don't even realize how magical this time of year is because of what this time of year points to. To a birth that will divide, that has literally divided human history. And so this morning on the eve of celebrating yet another Christmas together, I want to remind us of the enchantment of this time of year. Two truths. And the first one is this. Christmas is about believing the unbelievable. Christmas is about believing the unbelievable. I've been thinking about Joseph some this week. Joseph obviously is forefront in this passage in Matthew. Not the Joseph of with the coat of many colors, but the Joseph that's in the shadows of the greatest birth in human history. Joseph, this young Jewish man from Nazareth who was excited to start a new season of his life with a beautiful young woman that he has fallen in love with. How much do we think about this young guy's life getting turned absolutely upside down? 
See, Joseph was one of the first people on the planet to really have to grapple with who Jesus was and what that was going to mean for the rest of his life. It's Joseph that reminds us that Christmas is about believing the unbelievable and walking in that. Because that's precisely what Joseph was asked to do. As we jump into this story, Matthew essentially dumps us into the lives of this young Jewish couple living in Nazareth, about 50 miles north of the city of Jerusalem. We don't know anything about how they've met. We don't know how long they've been together. What we do know is that they are betrothed. Now, betrothed is not a word that we use a lot these days. We use the word engaged, which is not quite the same thing, which is why the translators don't use that word. To be betrothed in this time and place meant that you were just about married. In fact, for customarily a year, you were considered man and wife. Though you weren't living together, you weren't having sexual relations with one another. If, Mary, if Joseph had died during this time, Mary would have been considered a widow. And so here is this, this young, excited, essentially married couple, betrothed, and she gets pregnant. Just let that sink in. I know you've heard this story a hundred times, a thousand times. Just let that sink in. God allows his plans on earth, his grand plan of redemption to begin in scandal. If you have your Bibles open, in between the end of verse 18 and the start of verse 19, there are some, some interactions, some conversations that we just aren't privy to, but, but one wonders how, how it all went down between Joseph and Mary. Matthew doesn't tell us anything, but Luke fills in the backstory by telling us in his account, which is in Luke chapter 1, that Mary had been informed that it was the power of the Most High alone that would cause her to become pregnant. Sure, that, that was unbelievable. She struggled to believe that, but eventually she does through the testimony of the angel Gabriel coming to her as well as probably feeling something going on in her own body. She is indeed pregnant. Now what is this young girl going to think? How in the world am I going to tell Joseph? Perhaps it took her some time to muster up the courage, and then she let him have it. Joseph, I'm pregnant, but it's not what you think. This poor guy, how that must have sent Joseph's mind spinning, shock, disbelief, confusion, anger. He would never have suspected that Mary, his Mary, would have been unfaithful even now, her, her countenance glowed with the, the innocence and, and the purity that he had come to know and come to love about Mary. Joseph, I, I haven't been with another man. The Lord made me pregnant. An angel came to me, and you're not going to believe this. He said that the Messiah was going to be born in me. Maybe Joseph said, Mary, just stop, Mary. Don't 
say anymore. I've, I've got to go. Now, I don't know if it all went down like that, but it, it well could have. What we do know is that in verse 19, Joseph didn't buy it. He couldn't get his head around it. Can you blame him? I mean, this was unprecedented. This was, this was unbelievable. But I think that one of the reasons why Matthew gives us this account is to show us, to remind us what righteousness in action looks like. You see, the Holy Spirit wants us to know that Joseph was a just man. The scriptures describe him as such. He was a kind man who even with a wounded and confused heart, even in his struggle to believe, doesn't want revenge. Doesn't want to bring shame and consequences on his beloved Mary. In the Old Testament, many of you know this, a betrothed woman who commits adultery would have been stoned. Now, by the time of this story, that practice had subsided somewhat, but there was still an enormous amount of disgrace and shame that would accompany such a scandal like this. Joseph didn't want that for Mary. No matter how she had betrayed him, he was hurt, he was confused, and yet he was committed to compassion. And the the story of Joseph could have ended right there. At the end of verse 19, he could have just faded out of the picture and the Lord could have cared for Mary in some other way. But you see, when the Lord calls you to believe the unbelievable, he gives you the ability to believe. This is one of wonderful things about God's grace. In Joseph's case, that came to him directly as he's trying to figure out how to effectively and quietly deal with this situation and sweep it under the carpet so that the consequences don't come full on Mary, the Lord in his grace tells him, it's true, Joseph. You can believe the unbelievable. And not only that, but... Joseph is told that he's part of the story. He is part of the narrative that God is writing. It's a story, it's a plot line that's not going to be easy for Joseph. Do you notice that the angel told Joseph not to fear? You see, believing what was going on with Mary, taking her as his wife rather than divorcing her quietly means that all the backlash of the scandal of this pregnancy is going to be his. They aren't married. She is showing what are people going to think, not just about her, but about him. Sure, she can explain to them what she said to Joseph, this unbelievable story. But many are just, they're not going to get it. And Joseph knows that. And yet in obedience to God's word, instead of walking away, he will fully enter into God's plan, whatever that entails for him. 
And let's just stop right there before we move on. Because I think that's one of the applications of, of this story and the way we're coming at it is that Christmas is about believing the unbelievable and about taking God at his word and walking in that. Whatever disruption, whatever struggle that involves. Why? Because Jesus is worth it. Because Jesus is worth it. And that leads us to talk more about what the unbelievable is. There are two names that were given in this passage for this baby boy born or about to be born in scandal. Two names that encapsulate the unbelievable. The first one is Emmanuel. The second one is Jesus. Emmanuel, verse 23. Believing the unbelievable means believing that in this lowly birth of a Jewish boy named Jesus to a virgin Mary, the God of the universe has come to earth. He has come not in terrifying pageantry, but in meekness and humility. He comes making himself nothing. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is crazy, right? Right? This is crazy. This is unbelievable. And yet this is what Advent is about. This is what Christmas is about. This is what we are about. And we'll never be able to fully grasp the extent of this humiliation. In the womb of a woman, God has come nearer than He has ever been. The Christ of infinite worth, beauty and glory coming for us, self-absorbed, finite, distracted sinners. He came to dwell with us for a time that we might dwell with Him for all eternity. And because of Emmanuel, He knows. He's a God we can relate to. He's not far off. He's not distant. He was a teenager. He had parents. He had hormones. He resisted temptation. He lost a loved one. He dealt with grief. He got angry at injustice around him. He had to make difficult decisions. He had to live dependently. Emmanuel, God with us. Believe it. Believe the unbelievable. That's the first thing that I want to set our hearts on, but there's a second I want us to consider. And it moves us to the second name of the passage. Christmas is about believing the unbelievable. Christmas is also about gaining the unattainable. I don't know the status of your Christmas tree this year, but we scored an awesome, low-stress, overpriced tree thanks to the Hitchcock teenagers. Christmas trees are the centerpiece of our homes this time of year and this cultural celebration of Advent. 
And there is a sense, without going into the weeds of where that tradition of Christmas trees comes from, there is a sense in which Christmas is all about a tree. Not the one we decorate with lights and ornaments, but about the one to whom or to which this whole story is headed. The tree that would be cut down, that would be fashioned into a Roman cross in order to hang the one who is a sacrifice for sin. You see, the call to believe the unbelievable is not just to believe that God is Emmanuel, God with us. It is that God is Jesus, the one who does for us what we can't, who gives us the unattainable, who saves his people from their sin. For all the good that Jesus, the man, did while he was on earth with us, the teaching, the healing, the model of compassion and love, so many of those things that the world indeed recognizes and and hangs their hat on. He came primarily to do one thing, and that was to die for sinners. And it's this truth that brings us to the crux of Joseph's struggle. And maybe the hardest, the the highest hurdle for those in our world to jump over. What about this virgin birth? Yeah, Jesus was a historical guy. Absolutely. Jesus was a great teacher. Absolutely. Jesus was killed on a Roman cross. Absolutely. But born of a virgin with all that stuff about forgiveness of sins, come on. That makes for good folklore. But that's not necessary for Jesus' existence. That's what some in the world might say. And I'll admit, as Joseph admits, it's unbelievable that a young girl could become pregnant without a man. Absolutely, that is unbelievable. But it is no more unbelievable than God dwelling with us. It is no more unbelievable than Jesus raised from the dead. And despite what others may say, the virgin birth of Jesus is not a disposable doctrine. It's just as necessary as anything else for Jesus to save. It's the only way that we could gain the unattainable. You see, to pay for the sins of humanity, to satisfy divine justice, Jesus had to become one of us. We get that, right? In a democracy, we get that. You can't become a house representative without living in the district that you represent. We get that. But the problem is that if Jesus was born just like us, then he was plagued with the same thing that we are plagued with, the same thing we've confessed, the same thing that David wrote about in Psalm 51, 5, when he says, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. That doesn't mean that the act of David's conception was sinful. It means that because of original sin, Adam's sin is ours at conception. And so if Jesus is born like that, 
If Jesus is born just like us, He would need to die for His own sin. How could He make salvation for us? No, what must be done is what has been done. The Spirit of God, the one who hovered over the waters, the formless void at the beginning, must recreate humanity in the midst of its brokenness. He must overshadow Mary and in her womb plant a sinless embryo, one that bears the marks of human frailty. Jesus will feel, he will struggle with what we struggle with, he will know. He will experience joy and pain. And yet His will be a sin-free life. A life given for the sake of those who believe. It's this way, and only this way, that we could be saved from destruction. Unbelievable, yes. God has become a man. Unbelievable, yes. God has become a man outside of a man. The whole thing is unbelievable. The whole thing is enchanted. But brothers and sisters, it's hope for us. It's life for us. Believe the unbelievable that you might gain the unattainable. What began as a scandal has become a stumbling block for so many. Don't let it be a stumbling block for you this morning. This week especially, believe, marvel in these things, and be thankful. I don't know how many of you look at the quieting our hearts quote, at the beginning of the PDF that Rena sends out, but this week's quote is from Paul Tripp, a pastor, and I just want to close with it. As you roll into this Christmas week with all of its busyness, may you hear this encouragement. Look into that manger and see the one who came to die. Hear the angel's song and remember that death would be the only way that peace would be given. Look at your tree and remember another tree, one not decorated with shining ornaments, but stained with the blood of the Son of God. As you celebrate, remember that the pathway to your celebration was the death of the one you celebrate. And be thankful. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for your word and for this Oh, so familiar story for us to set our hearts again upon. Father, I pray that we would understand, that we would embrace, and that by Your grace and by the power of Your Spirit, we would hold fast to this hope. The hope of all nations given for us in the person of Jesus. Oh, for this we give you thanks. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.